Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Uh, focus right now on the so-called Islamic State, ISIS. Uh, word out of uh, Belgium. Authorities in Brussels say a would-be bomber yesterday who attempted to detonate either a suicide belt or a suicide suitcase uh, was linked to ISIS, had some connections, had at least sympathies for the terrorist organization. Uh, Then we've got word out of Michigan today, a stabbing at the airport in Flint, Michigan, being treated as a possible act of terrorism. Authorities say a Canadian-born suspect stabbed a police officer, an airport officer, in the neck while yelling, Allahu Akbar. Uh, That uh, officer is expected to make a recovery. As mentioned, this is being treated as a possible act of terrorism. Uh, At this point, no link to uh, the Islamic State. But of course, uh, we've had recent attacks in the UK and elsewhere in Europe uh, that certainly do have that link. Notably, the recent uh, suicide bombing in Manchester. And, of course, among its many victims, many children. It was an Ariana Grande concert attended by many children, teenagers, their parents. And it seemed like a very deliberate attack. In in the aftermath of of that attack, there was an interesting piece we came across uh, that looked at the weaponization of children. How ISIS has used children for propaganda. How it trains children to be killers. And how it also targets children for attack. Uh, joining us for more, the author of this piece, Mia Bloom, is a professor of communication at Georgia University, uh, Georgia State University. She's authored several books and articles on terrorism and extremism, including Dying to Kill, The Allure of Suicide Terror, Living Together After Ethnic Killing, Bombshell, Women and Terror. Professor Bloom, welcome to the program. No, thank you for having me. All right. Well, we look at some of the recent attacks that have been claimed by ISIS or linked to ISIS. Do, do you see a, a, a pattern? Well, I think... The way you phrase it is perfect because a lot of the attacks, when we're looking at the entirety of everything that's going on in the last two or three years, ISIS doesn't claim every attack. Right. Although some people, regardless of whether there's a connection to ISIS, will allege that they're connected. For example, Omar Mateen, uh, the pulse shooter in Orlando. And so we have to be very careful about those attacks that are actually perpetrated by ISIS, directed, planned, plotted, all of these things. For example, the attack that they perpetrated in Tehran last week, right. or in Dhaka and Bangladesh, or at Bataclan, versus very often things that are happening that there really isn't a connection, but after a few days, they very often will take credit for it because it allows them to project power and you know remain relevant at the same time that they're losing territory in Syria and Iraq. So one of the things that I do is I go inside into their encrypted networks, into the chat rooms and channels, to see what it is they're saying. And when it's actually ISIS, you can tell. And when it's not ISIS, you can tell. And so that's where we want to make that distinction. Now, I looked, 
Um, and I did see Rukmini Kalamaki from the New York Times uh, tweeted some information coming out of Brussels that there might have been a connection. But in the ISIS networks, they're not talking about Brussels. Certainly not in the way that they usually talk about attacks that have a significant fingerprint. Interesting. What are those telltale signs then? So, for example, from in the instances of Dhaka and in Tehran, they were using uh, GoPro cameras, live posting, if you will, almost like uh, Facebook Live or YouTube Live, on their encrypted networks, the attack. So we were getting pictures in Bangladesh in real time. I could watch the Tehran attack in real time. That's very different than when weeks or days later, ISIS will create an infographic where they're taking responsibility for San Bernardino and Orlando, and they're putting both attacks in the state of Florida. And I'm thinking if they don't know where San Bernardino is, they probably didn't plan it. And so this is where we've, we've started down this path of a moral panic that every time someone says they're ISIS, we, oh, okay, sure, we give them that credibility. And I think we need to be a little bit more suspicious. Not everyone who says they're ISIS is ISIS. And in fact, sometimes ISIS feels perfectly comfortable taking claims of responsibility for attacks, like what happened in Singapore two weeks ago, and there was no connection. Right. They are very willing to jump on a bandwagon, and we don't want to inadvertently empower them, give the impression that they are more powerful than they really are. Yeah, that's an important point. What about those, though, who are inspired by ISIS or who make that, that pledge of, of loyalty to, to the leader of ISIS, even if they've not had any direct contact with the group? Well, and so again, these are, you know, the wannabe fanboys. We see a lot of that. We used to see it with Al-Qaeda. Interestingly enough, Al-Qaeda had certain bare minimums before you could join al-Qaeda. They didn't just take anybody. And so we've done studies about the quality of recruits. And ISIS, like most terrorist groups, are engaged in a cycle. There are periods of time where they need a lot more people. They're labor-intensive, whereas in other periods of time when they're doing well, they want certain specializations. They want some uh, people with professional degrees or they want people with skills and talent. Um, And so a lot of that's going to depend on what period of time. But we also see a lot of what we would consider to be not especially successful people who get out of jail, and this allows them to reinvent themselves. So you end up having a lot of people who are not maybe high quality. Um, One of the the studies that was done of uh, al-Qaeda suicide bombers in Afghanistan was very often the only person that ended up get was the bomber because they weren't especially uh, knowledgeable or educated or well-trained. They would have these group hugs right before the mission, not realizing that they were detonating the explosives. So, you know, there was this joke, the suicide bomber school, I'm only going to show you this once. Um, But Mm -hmm. the fact remains is that just because someone's inspired by ISIS doesn't mean it's going to be the same level as an individual who's had training, who's gone to the region. And I think the example with Abadi, um, the Manchester bomber, who had been in Libya, that is very different than the three guys on, on London Bridge. I mean, and so you see very important distinctions. How lethal is the attack? How professional is the attack? Are they using a knife or are they using an explosive device? The explosive device needs some technical training in order to either procure it or build it. 
Whereas just jumping out of your, you know, hitting people with your car or a van and then jumping out and stabbing people, well, we've seen in the United States, anyone can do it, including the extreme right wing. Well, you mentioned the sophistication, the apparent level of sophistication of the, the Manchester suicide bombing. Uh, that There was some, some thoughts and planning put into that uh, in, in the mm. way it was executed. But the, the, the target itself, is it your sense then that, that this target, this crowd that included so many young people, was a, a deliberate target? I think so. And we've seen this before um, in the early 2000s where a lot of the Chechen suicide attacks Either the Krila Rock concert in Tushino Air Force Base, they attacked a rock concert, or we would see um, sometimes Palestinian suicide bombers attacking a discotheque in Israel. You very often see the target choice is a, not just a place where young people congregate, but some sort of representation of the licentiousness of the West, a place where there's mixed dancing, there's alcohol, there's things going on, you know, that... If a Muslim happens to be in that room, they wouldn't be a good Muslim. And so you are, there's a selection effect. By targeting in that capacity, you're excluding someone who you wouldn't want to accidentally kill. But if you end up killing members of your own people or group or ethnicity, well, you can sort of explain that away. They shouldn't have been there in the first place. This piece you wrote uh, following the bombing that we talked about, where you know there, there's there's a bigger picture here. The way that ISIS uh, would target children, the way that they themselves try to recruit and brainwash children, the way that they use children and images of dead children in their propaganda. Uh, there's there's a lot more to this than we realize. It's all encompassing. You know, when the reaction initially with Manchester uh, was such shock and horror, uh, which again is the intended effect. Um, ISIS is always pushing that envelope in order to create the reaction that they do. And they're always having to up the ante because the moment we become even the least bit uh, uh, almost uh, immune to the violence, they have to mix it up and do something differently. But one of the things that struck me as odd is this discussion about how they would target children. And I thought, well, they don't see children as children. They don't see children as sacrosanct. And as an example, what I wrote in the article, they're constantly using their own children. You know, we've seen almost 300 children under the age of 16 years old being used as suicide bombers in the last two years. And that's a huge number. And how do we know? ISIS brags about it. Yeah. And it's, it's a very different situation. For example, um, we've done some work with uh, Tanya Zayed, who's a Canadian who worked with uh, Romeo Dallaire for eight years. And, you know, Tanya has gone from conflict zone to conflict zone in trying to engage in um, de-radicalization and reintegration of child soldiers. These groups in Africa didn't brag about having child units. You didn't see that in Sierra Leone or the DRC or Mozambique. But here, ISIS actually puts the kids front and center. They put them in the videos. They'll have incredibly young children executing people. And I know that a four-year-old has no idea what they're doing, but you can imagine the optics of that. And so it really is something different. That's the part that's new. Terrorist groups probably have always used kids. They've had child units that have funneled youth into the movement as they got older. But this is really the first time where the group is proud of using really young kids. And we see it also in their African affiliate, Boko Haram, which is now Wilayah Tishrikeya, that they're using very young kids 
and, and very young girls. And there you have an interesting distinction. So ISIS in Syria and Iraq, no girls. Boko Haram, lots of girls. How is it then that they're grooming and, and brainwashing then these, these young people? How do you convince a 16-year-old to, to be a suicide bomber? Well, with the 16-year-olds, at this point, they're in many ways politically aware. And this is true across a variety of groups. I did field research in Northern Ireland where I was interviewing people who had been members of the provisional IRA. And by the time they were 16 years old, they were already joining active service units. They had to lie about their age because the IRA didn't want anyone who was under 18. But they had a sense of politics. What's harder to understand is how you brainwash the 11 or 12-year-old. And part of this has to do with uh, these young kids don't conceive of their own mortality. They don't understand what they're parroting, what they hear the adults say. They'll just reiterate that. And there really isn't a sense they genuinely understand. And so we can't see the 10 or 11-year-old as radicalized. By the time they're 16 and 17 years old, they pretty much know. And so it's, it's a variety of things having to do with uh, social ecology and an ecosystem in which martyrdom is so venerated that these kids are convinced that the afterlife is much better than the current life. And so whatever rewards of afterlife that they will receive for being a martyr far outweighs whatever they can accomplish in sort of a regular life on Earth. Um, and the other thing that you see, and this is, again, quite insidious, is that unlike um, many instances with the child soldiers, the parents are alive, and they're the ones encouraging the kids to join these right. martyrdom units. And so it is completely unnatural that a parent buries a child, and yet here you have instances where the parents are knowingly giving the terrorists access to their children. And this is true of uh, these these individuals who join ISIS, who leave is an entire family unit, whether it's from Canada or the UK or France, the kids get there. And within, you know, just a few short weeks, they're already in cub training. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, much more in all of this in your forthcoming book called Small Arms, Children and Terror. Mia Bloom, thank you so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate your insight on this. Well, thank you very much for having me. You know, I'm Canadian, so I could never say no to a Canadian show. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll make note of that. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks again, Mia. Bye -bye. Appreciate it. Take care. Uh, that is Mia Bloom, professor of communication at Georgia State University, uh, author of several books, as mentioned her forthcoming book, Small Arms, Children, and Terror. We need to take a break here. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.